Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. I hope you are enjoying or have enjoyed a wonderful lunch provided by Country Kitchen Catering. Uh, thank you to all of the uh, wonderful kitchen staff there for a wonderful lunch. So I want to introduce next week's topic before we get into uh, the last slide of Becky's presentation and question and answer period. So next Thursday, November 26th, here at noon, from noon till 1.30, the topic is sexual violence and social media. What is cyber violence? Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, and Instagram, to name a few, are social media sites that have become the voice of our generation. These internet platforms are tools used to discover who we are, to connect with each other, and think globally but these can also become spaces that perpetuate toxic norms and violence. The problem of cyber violence and online abuse is the greatest challenge the internet faces today. While social media sites do not cause cyber violence, they do impact the ways in which the violence occurs and they can impact the ways in which the violence is prevented. So sir, we'll learn all about what cyber violence is and that'll be taking here Thursday at noon as well. It will be taking place at the university on Wednesday, November 25th, 7 p.m. till 9 in room PE250. So be sure to mark your calendars for that. Check the website, sacpa.ca. You can check out the entire schedule of upcoming sessions um, and, and make plans to attend. So I'm going to turn the mic back over to Becky for one quick minute. Uh, she wants to end on a positive note and has a, a very critical slide to share with you. Uh, and then we'll launch into question and answer period. If you do have uh, written questions that you'd like to submit to me, I can certainly entertain that. But uh, get those to me as soon as you can. I did want to end um, on a positive note about um, protecting urban parkland. Just this past year, uh, City Council protected a number of parcels of top land along the edge of the River Valley by rezoning them from future urban development, which means they could have had housing developments on them. Uh, the City City Council passed bylaws that would protect those lands as parks and recreation land. Um, and I am very, uh, very, very pleased that they recognize that Lethbridge citizens value the natural area land. Uh, what can Lethbridge citizens do to help to um, stop this um, trashing of the slopes on Alexander Park land? and vehicles uh, accessing other city natural park lands. Um, well, hopefully some, <laughs> hopefully some really good fencing would help. If there was a road into the top land area of Alexander Park for people to access and a parking lot, then hopefully uh, more people out on the land would help if you see vehicles there um, and you can <laughs> report it to the police, 
I'm not sure whether you'll get some help because uh, can a constable immediately be spared to run out there and, uh, and nab the culprit in the act because that is what has to happen. Uh, does the Parks Department need to create a body that would have the legal authority to patrol parks and make arrests? Uh, if, if that can be done, I think it would be a big step forward. And um, public awareness, spread the word to your friends and neighbors. And um, I'm trying to spread the word to you. I'm also trying to spread the word to the Parks Department. I hope you will too. Thank you. Wonderful. So we will entertain questions. We do have the mic there. If you'd like uh, to ask, please uh, go to the microphone and speak clearly into that so we can get that included in the podcast. Uh, I will ask Anna and Becky to rejoin us on the stage. And uh, yeah, so let's have some wonderful discussion on this. Thank you very much to uh, both presenters and uh, Becky in particular. Um, yesterday I was down at the Helen Shuler Nature Center and saw a very large and well-fattened coyote wandering idly down through one of the trails. And it reminded me how important not just Alexander Park is, but the entire river valley. It's a unique feature and it's something that we should be proud of. I want to just talk a little very quickly about another form of what I consider to be illegal activity here in the parklands of Lethbridge. Can Specifically... Yeah, can you get just to the question, just in the interest of time? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, you stole my thunder, Curtis. I'm so okay, sorry. Specifically, what I want to draw attention to, and I would ask uh, Becky if she would concur, is the preponderance of off-road bicycle ramps that are found, they sprout, they sprout up like mushrooms throughout the river valley, and specifically, in the interest of time, in Popsom Park, where I have done surveys of rattlesnake den sites, there are at least five healthy den sites in Popsom Park. This summer alone, we have three huge bike ramps that have been built one of which is well within the 200-meter restriction zone as provided by the uh, provincial government of Alberta. This, in my opinion, is completely unacceptable. What we need to do is enforce this, as has been um, mentioned on there. They need to be taken out. There should be better signage. And if necessary, um, people should be prosecuted for building these things. I'm not yeah. against bike trails. Yeah. Do not get and, me wrong and, and the Just to the question, just so we can okay, keep the, the discussion. the question is, Becky, do you agree with what I'm saying about the rest of the River Valley? <laughs> just on that one there. How could I disagree, John? <laughs> yes, but um, if any bicycle tracks happen to be in Alexander Wilderness Park, they have certainly been obliterated by truck tire track marks. Yes, sir. Uh, hi, my name is Dave Shepard. I have a question for Anna. Uh, I, I'm going to have to preface it again, I'm afraid, but um, I'm a hiker. And uh, I hike where there aren't any off road vehicles. Uh, in my view, they're incompatible with hiking. 
go there for solitude, I go there to see wildlife, I go to see flowers, I go to see nature. And uh, it's not only irritating, the noise is just, just unacceptable. Second statement, uh, the grizzly bear science shows that there's um, um, too many roads open and uh, it's not good for bear habitat to have so many roads open. So with myself and the grizzly bear, I want to know how we <laughs> come into your thinking in the old man watershed. Uh, that's a very complicated question. Um, when we look to the heart of the matter, uh, the answer to almost any question that anyone poses today uh, is cumulative effects. So when you talk about too many roads, what I probably see when I go back there are legacy trails from industry and what you might think is a trail, or specifically what an OHV rider might think is a trail, is probably not. So I think uh, the impacts on the land are, are increasing simply due to population. And I think uh, we're in a position now more than ever before to have good discussions together and to talk about um, possible closures of industry inroads, for example, rehabilitation of some industry inroads, and specifically designating areas for um, OHV use and, and making sure that people know where the trails are and where they're not. If we do a bunch of rehabilitation and restoration work in the backcountry and nobody knows where it is, how, how, how can it possibly be avoided? So we need to stop undermining each other's uh, efforts in that regard and, and communicate better, and that's kind of what I'm here for. Hi, my name is Henning Mundell, and my question follows up with you, please, too. Anna, uh, having grown up in the Okanagan Valley, right against the hills, uh, we had an orchard and part of a hillside, and then eventually all kinds of roads were built further up. Just the top soil removed, and we ended up one spring, our road driveway to our house with chest-deep gullies. My question to you is, in terms of mitigation, who pays for that? Well, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, and I think the, the answer there uh, lies in what's the difference between public land and private land? And how do we manage our public lands? Because right now, um, <laughs> at the risk of being beheaded, uh, we're, we're, we're not managing them very effectively. I mean, you know, we just the, the previous question was, was regarding what is a trail, what is a road, where are the signs, how do we know what's going on? Um, and for the general public, how do you access this information? So if you're going to take the time and bother to actually find out what's going on before you go out into the backcountry, if you even go, because remember I was saying most young kids don't even get a chance to, to go camping. So of the few people who, who want to go out and experience it for the first time, how can we find this information? So information and education uh, is everything, and that will cover from why does it matter that there's, that there's one track going through a bunch of grass? What does that actually turn into when, with repeated use, for example? So uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big evolving conversation about how do we manage public land. Graham Greenlee is my name. Anna, 
if a, a particular road or trail is closed off, how can it be reclaimed? Or is it sufficient just to let nature reclaim it naturally? Well, most, most of the time when, when you're talking about uh, damage that's, that's so severe that, that the need for rehabilitation is even, even recognized, um, it, it, revol- it involves science and it involves deliberate remediation. Uh, so there are a number of organizations, uh, some of them represented here today, uh, that specialize in bioengineering and depending on whether it's a riparian zone or, or in the middle of the forest, we, we've got the science to be able to do it, but nature can't, can't repair itself in, in, in some cases. You can close, close a trail off, but uh, depending on, on what type of terrain it is, how the hydrology there works, um, it requires some intervention. And I commend you on all the, the work you do in the uh, education you're trying to get out there for all the off-road users. But a quick question. I know a lot of you have a qu- uh, questions about how uh, if we close areas, is it going to be beneficial? And let us know, like, uh, we have a lot of areas that we're being studied right now, like McLean Creek. They've closed down areas and they forced off-road users into small areas. What happens, Anna, when we close areas and force people into a very confined space? Well, I think you know, I think you know as well as I do what happens. <laughs> you know, um, what happens is that you know it's it's the same as where does where does water go if it can't find one exit it will find another so the the and again this is such a hot topic I'm going to get in trouble somehow but we can't go just going around closing closing trails randomly left right and center or closing entire areas because uh, we've seen the problems with with closing areas that are closest to Calgary people will find somewhere else to go they've invested a lot of money a lot of time um, and their own personal identities in this equipment and they're not going to just uh, sell it and decide not to go they will go somewhere else so it's about providing access and providing education and doing it in a timely manner uh, the OWC can't do it alone we are not doing it alone uh, we're, we're getting more and more interest from the community and you know my my personal thing is is I, I you know I, I spent 20 years in in Europe um, in Germany to be specific people aren't afraid of speaking up there they're afraid of speaking up here. Anna, um, my name is Pat Greenlee. Um, and I, I have to say that uh, you've opened my eyes a little bit because I've always looked on the off-road vehicles as being the enemy. Um, but I, I have an issue around um, going hiking in the castle area, um, being up on a trail where there's obviously it, that that's clearly marked, no off-road vehicles. Um, there's obviously huge ruts in the in the trail that have been caused, and then here comes somebody along on their off-road vehicle. Now I don't speak up. I smile at that person and, and they go on their way. But I'm afraid to say, look, you shouldn't be on this trail. Um, can you comment on that? 
Well, a, a couple of uh, a couple of funny scenarios come to mind. One involves running around the backcountry with the with the six pack in your backpack and and offering one to someone and striking up a conversation. But uh, staying staying away from the from the beer scenario, I think it's important not to reprimand each other, condemn one another, because you don't have that level of education in place yet. You don't know who you're talking to or why they're doing what they're doing, where they're coming from. The, the important thing is to, uh, to stop the polarization between recreation and recreation and recognize that, and rec- recognize that uh, people have been taught different things and identified differently with nature. So it's important to have a conversation um, and, and once you establish the, the right to pursue the conversation further, if someone's got time, if they've got interest, then you can, you, then you can tell what you know. Uh, I think it's important to teach and to see yourself not in the position of a, as a victim, but in the position of a teacher who has something to offer when the student is ready. Hi, Bev Mendel. Um, I've got a couple of questions. <clears throat> I've been talking to some people who use the um, off-highway vehicles, and uh, they were saying it's only a few people that actually are the, the miscreants who are going and doing this, which it, it gives the whole group a bad name. And you were saying, you know, a lot of people with the off-train off vehicles, they, uh, they come and help and help and help to rehabilitate and they're your best educators. If I may interrupt, uh, I would say that they're not helping, they're, they're leading, we're helping. Thank you, thank you for that. So uh, a couple questions. <laughs> One is, if, if we sell, if, if, if we're in this consumer society and we sell these fabulous hot rod Jeeps, you know, these various things that can go everywhere. We, we have to have a place to use them. So my first question is, where can people go? And wouldn't that be part of the overall plan to have places where people can go and use their fabulous vehicles? And the second question relates to education. You've been saying that quite a bit. Um, as an educator myself, I would say you have to start in elementary school and talk to kids. So are you either, um, what are you doing? Um, it comes to mind you could either be going into the schools, but that's a big job, or working with the new NDP government to change the curriculum to include this as part of elementary curriculum. Thank you. So um, help me remember, this is like big subject. The first question, the answer I want to give is something about the South Saskatchewan Regional Plan. What was the question? What was the first part of the question? Where can they go? Okay, so there, thank you. There are, there are many people in this room who uh, had input on the uh, South Saskatchewan Regional Plan. And I didn't. That was before my time. Uh, and, and there was a lot of discussion there um, about designating places for OHV use. Should we, shouldn't we, what, what should go on? That's an ongoing discussion. The South Saskatchewan Regional Plan is being reviewed right now by the provincial government. There were open consultations that ran until October the 5th. Um, I'm expecting to, uh, to see some 
a, a move towards more concrete discussions. So broad level right now, for example, we've got two new provincial parks. Okay, the next level then is how do we manage them? And in, 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 in the first instance, okay, we're going to take away new oil and gas leases and, and, and logging in that area and then refine it down. It takes, it takes time. And at the same time, uh, going to your second question about education, I'm going to be provocative here play the devil's advocate. It's not that I, I disagree with you. I don't. However, <laughs> uh, at the risk again of getting myself killed, obviously people here are too polite to do it right now, but later. Um, <clears throat> um, I don't know if it's always the burden of the children. Why, why are we asking our children to bear the burden of our problems right here, right now? We're the adults. Why can't we start with us? Hi, my name is Peter Beal, and uh, I'd like to consider this thing like what you call off-trail, off-roading, because uh, not all the watershed is parkland. So as long as the province gives out hunting licenses for things like, say, for moose or elk, uh, I mean, you can't really carry that out on your back, a heavy animal like that. So you're going to get this off-trail, off-roading. So what's the solution to that? How, you know, how does that figure into, into the overall plan? How can you control that? I think that's a, that's a very interesting uh, question. Um, Luckily, um, being part of the Old Man Watershed Council, with the emphasis on council, it means that, that we have people who are interested in watershed management health and contributing to it throughout the watershed. So um, what we're hearing from people who, who live in, in rural areas and in areas where hunting is taking place um, is that there's a lot of drive-by shooting a lot of people sitting in their in their trucks and and shooting from the road certainly you know you can't paint any picture with really broad strokes uh, so there 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 seems to be I think this is just part of the general discussion about how do we manage our backcountry what's it there for why are people going out hunting what are what what's the culture around hunting um, what are they doing with the animals? How are they accessing the backcountry? And, and, and what's, what's the permit? I mean, uh, we had uh, Alf from the, uh, from the Honda uh, people was, was saying to me the other day, you know, if you, if you buy uh, a gun, you know, you're expected to be able to, to deal with it. So does that include information about the backcountry and about watershed management health? Well, not so far. Should it be? Probably. All right, we'll, t we'll take another uh, couple of questions here. Anna, <coughs> Richard Burke. Um, in the work up Dutch Creek this summer, uh, they were uh, conversing with recreationists and so on. Was there, was there any explanation or solutions that came out of those discussions on the, in that creek, like over 100 illegal fords of the creek? So in other words, the driving right through the creek, uh, was that addressed at all? Uh, the work in Dutch Creek this summer was was pretty comprehensive. Um, the The guys that we had out on the ground were two outreach assistants. Uh, one was a master's student, and the other one was uh, an undergrad. And um, it wasn't it wasn't their job to um, to talk. 
it was their job to love to listen, and they did a really good job. We had, we had a lot of insights from their conversation that we didn't have before. And prior to that, we had um, Amber Bennett, who's a consultant, um, who did a lot of research with the various interest groups that we got um, really solid information about at a, at a, a sort of a, a theoretical social scientific level. And prior to that, um, Connie Simmons, our planning manager, had, had been doing just tremendous work out in the, in the headwaters. Um, and, and also, we mustn't forget, and I, and I hate to harp on this, but it, it's got to be said, uh, OHV groups have been doing their, their own research into, into what's going on and what can be done. And they have been making suggestions to government and trying to get it uh, implemented. So as far as uh, Dutch Creek is concerned, the next phase will, uh, we're, we're planning right now, as, as you know. And then uh, this summer we have the funding to hire on uh, outreach assistants again who will be going then into the third phase of science, so past the pilot project phase and more into implementing this uh, demonstration site, educating people about what kind of backbreaking work goes into bioengineering, how, what it looks like, trying to involve people from the OHV community and being interested in that, and, and getting, getting deeper conversations going out there and not just here. Like not just from sitting behind the computer and, 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 and lecturing, but going out and, and learning from people who, who are out there. So I hope that answers the question. Yeah, my name is Mark Gettle. I think there's two issues here, and we've only been addressing one, and that's a mode of transportation, which is fine to bring people up to uh, nature and see nature or bring back a killed moose or something like that. The other issue is what I would call stunting or joy riding. And this is one of the big problems. We have vehicles on the road, and if you stunt or joyride, you will get a ticket. But all of a sudden, because you are off-road, you see all this stunting happening, and that a lot of that, I think, is a problem. And how do we enforce that? Can we enforce it so that we first have a better muffler system so that they're not so loud? Or do we limit the throttle so that they can't speed more than 30 or 40 kilometers an hour? You know, I've been up to Carbondale, and on that road, this was just like a raceway, five, six ATVs going up and down, up and down at full speed, very dangerous. So this is, I think, there's the two issues. It's not just transportation, it's how they use these vehicles. But the, can you give me the question again? Yeah. Well, what do you think, how, how do we limit, how do we separate those two? You know, you, you gave your talk as, as responsible people going out there to enjoy nature or, you know, to transportation. But then there's the other group that really are quite irresponsible, very dangerous. And as we know, there's quite a few people that are, are, are dying every year um, because of misuse of these vehicles. Well, as I said, um, Neanderthal behavior and 21st century technology are a deadly cocktail. Um, and... It never ceases to amaze me when I get in my car every day. Uh, I, I got, I'll encounter somebody who's, who's doing something really, really stupid. Um, I think we can just say welcome to the human race, you know. There's going to be somebody sometime who, who drinks too much and gets in a car, puts other people at risk. There's going to be somebody sometime who, who drinks too much and gets on a quad and starts stunting. There's also, we have to remember, in case anybody here forgot, we're living in the wild, wild west. 
It's still wild. And we still have cowboys. And they are on steel horses, right? So there's a whole social shift that has to take place about what's our definition of wild. How do we behave? You know, it's, it's educating people in urban areas about what's appropriate behavior for rural and backcountry areas. These discussions need to happen. You're going to have bad apples, wild behavior wherever you go. It's important for us to talk together and to, and to pave a way forward that makes it clear that as Albertans, as strong Albertans, that's not what we do. All right, final question here. Thank you for your talk. My name is Georgie Harper. I read somewhere a little while ago that what we needed was patrolled areas specially designed for off-road. I used to ski. Unfortunately, you have to find a mountain and snow, but it works quite well. Has any research been done in this area? How successful would it be to have planned areas that you could go to? Well, I mean, if you would ask my dad that question as an old backcountry guy whose lips curled in disdain when he saw a trailer, um, he wouldn't go camping at any designated area. That was, that was beneath him, you know. He had to be the tough guy and go where no man has gone before. Um, so uh, I, I think, again, it's, it's a matter of um, finding out from the OHB community what what would work for them it's not it's not up to to i don't i don't i don't ride a quad i'm terrified of them i i, I can't i can't even stand on my step to give a speech i can't handle a quad you know so it's up to them to tell us what's going to work for them and i think for a lot of people who um enjoy o the ohb experience as a social experience that uh, a, a park where you can get into all kinds of serious mudding and serious challenges like you do a skateboarding park, I think that would be a great, great thing. You know, people can meet each other, find like-minded people to, to, to hang out with. They don't have to go wandering through the bush and then encounter some grizzly or, or worse. <laughs> Maybe they'd, they'd find you back there. But uh, I think that's a solution for some of the people some of the time. But I think this is a very, uh, a, a both a high-level discussion about our identity as Albertans, how, how we deal with, with our Wild West and how do we keep it wild, and a very personal one-to-one uh, -one individual discussion about feeling, feeling strong enough uh, and passionate about, enough about what we do to stop lecturing, listen, and engage in conversation. But has there, any, has there, been, has there been any research that you as a group have found that these designated parks work? I don't know of any. Uh, in fact, I was, I was having some discussions uh, today uh, uh, at, the, uh, at the research center uh, with some of the people there. I don't know of any. I think Kevin knows of some. One in Ontario and one in Vir Virginia. So this is, this is, this is new, new territory for us. And, uh, you know, it's something that we're definitely going to be exploring for sure. Thank you. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us today for this session of Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs.